0: Welcome to episode three of the Roots of Alternative podcast. I am Jack, joined by Dixon. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. I got to say, like, I'm super excited at this point. Like, we're three episodes, well, now starting episode three, so we're three episodes into this, and uh, I'm so excited for where we're headed right now. This music for this week, I think, was the best yet.
1: We're slowly getting to the week you were born. (laughs)
0: <laughs> slowly we still got about what eight more years to go eight more years uh, before i'm actually born but um yeah so uh, a quick note though about the show so uh, as always you can find us at 95x.com um 95x.com slash roots of alternative but we are now on apple Podcasts and spotify as well so so many different ways to listen there's also a few other places you can check out too Um, The full list again up at 95x.com slash Roots of Alternatives. So listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are now taking a look at the year 1982 and there's a lot of historical events and this is a new thing that we're kind of doing to introduce each year before we actually break down the music of the year. We're going to take a look at some of the historical events because, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of history that surrounds the music that's released. A lot of the music that comes out is based on things that are happening in the world. And I think that it's a good thing to kind of shine a light on all of uh, those historical events. So Dixon, you've got a few uh to kick us off with the year 1982.
1: Well, first and foremost, uh, a major thing happened in 1982, which was the first CD player was sold in Japan in 1982 uh this is back when they were the size of like a large vcr and cds were about thirty dollars a pop and it was you know like we've all lived through like dvd transferring blu-ray blu-ray transferring to digital this was that evolution from vinyl to cassette to cd and that kicked off in 1982 although it was only overseas in japan
0: that's so weird i i didn't realize it was that early that cds came out. i thought it was much later than that
1: um well the introduction into the states was was later on which they made fun of a little bit in the wedding center which is a movie we're probably going to reference a million times <laughs> as we get through the 80s portion of the roots of alternative podcast
0: so, yeah, a lot of things happened in 1982. Uh, now, I, I mentioned this only because it was just so significant for the year, even though it doesn't really fit into the music that we were talking about. But it was the year that Michael Jackson's Thriller album came out. A um, couple other things of note. The average cost of a new home was $82,000, and a gallon of gas was 91 cents a gallon.
1: Damn. You know who was named the, the Times Man of the Year? the computer the what the The computer was times man of the year in 1982 following in line with the technology technology of the cd player being introduced
0: the computer. computer are we talking about a specific brand or just like the computer as a technological device in general
1: i have to assume that it's
0: apple Um, Well, kind of on that same technology front, it was also the year that AT&T was ordered to break up. At the time, it was a monopoly, and it was broken up by the federal government. And at the same time, there was a severe recession that began in the United States in 1982.
1: Yep. In addition to that, uh, that was also the year that they discovered Dutch elm disease, which destroyed millions of elm trees across the United States. Uh, It was also a headline grabber when Tylenol capsules in the city of Chicago were laced with potassium cyanide and actually killed seven people in the city of Chicago. This was like a huge, like they opened the news every night with it. It was on the front page of the paper. Like this was a big thing. People were very paranoid uh, over this uh, on a worldwide front. And I believe, uh, if I remember correctly, they did figure out that it was in and around the greater Chicago area where all of these deaths happened.
0: Well, a credit to their marketing department for spending many years getting over that because I had never heard of that before. That's insane.
1: Still one of the biggest brands in the world.
0: Wow. Well, last couple of things, uh, more in pop culture. Uh, The first episode of Late Night with David Letterman debuted on NBC, and the film E.T. came out in 1982. And another notable mention, because I'm a huge Star Trek fan, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan came out in 1982.
1: And I'll close this out by saying that that was also the time period in which Epcot opened at Disney Oh, to stay in that same nerd realm.
0: All right, so let's jump into the nitty-gritty here. Let's take a look at some of the biggest songs that defined 1982 in the world of alternative music. Now, I want to say right off the bat that there's... I feel like I'm starting to notice a split in where music is headed throughout the decade of the 1980s, because on my favorites list, I wrote down three songs in particular that I felt were a diversion from what the typical 80s sound was. And by typical 80s sound, in my mind, I'm thinking of something along the lines of heavy synthesizer use, um, that's really the biggest thing that I'm thinking of in that aspect. Um, so, a couple of songs that I loved right off the bat that I felt were that diversion. Um, starting off was a uh, town called Malice by the Jam. That was yeah. Such- Jam was
1: a great band, and that sound that you're describing is technically considered new wave.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And how would you describe new wave? New
1: wave is is most certainly rhythmic, uh, using the technology of the time. Uh, A lot of people have said that new wave is to the early and mid 80s what disco was to the mid and late 70s. It was an influx of a new sound based on new things that were happening within um, the the music instrument world when it came to synthesizers and things like moves and um, samplers and other things that that had been sort of like not possible due to technology before that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So
1: so the, the introduction of drum machines and different synth sounds that weren't necessarily like what you would find on that organ in your grandma's house, where it was like bossa Nova or, you know, like tembe or whatever the hell it was. Mm -hmm. This was uh, an exploration of new sounds via synthesizers and synthesized drum beats.
0: Yeah. So like, the, the song that I mentioned, obviously not New Wave, what I kind of got out of that and why I call it a diversion is A Town Called Malice by The Jam. Listen to it, you'll notice a lot of like what I describe as slamming beats, very bright drums, um, and it, just, it seemed very different. And another song that I kind of labeled as a diversion from that that was kind of similar uh, to The Jam was Save It For Later by The English Beat. That one had a lot yep. of saxophone and bright drums in it, which I had never heard that song before, and I really, really loved that.
1: There were a, a lot of horns in the '80s. Uh, you know, like I think some of the bands that really explored those textures were like Oingo Boingo later in the decade, and obviously we'll talk about uh, the influx of ska later in this podcast with Madness, who also discovered the use of natural horns. But um, most of the new wave stuff, you're you're getting horn uh energy i guess is the best way to put it because it's all synthesized uh so while what you're describing is in some of the new wave uh what you're sort of leaning towards is the natural sound of a real instrument over a synthesized sax or uh different wind or string instrument
0: so i'm curious as to what you think because all right so how old were you at this point in 1982 i hope you don't mind us inquiring on your age.
1: I was <laughs> I 9. Old.
0: You were nine. 9. Okay, so you were so you were 9 years old. Uh you know, were some of the these diversion type bands that I'm talking about like the Jam and the English Beat. Were you listening to them or were you listening to more of a new wave?
1: At this point in my life, honestly, I was still listening to mostly Motown records. Uh, I, I still had a, a bit of a like funk disco thing happening. This was around the time that I bought my first album on vinyl, which was Mothership Connection by Parliament Funkadelic, mm. and that had a, a huge lasting impact on my life. Uh, just it, it made me appreciate the the the, the strange very early uh, as a music listener because at that time Parliament was this this wild funk circus sort of thing. So it opened my eyes to having different influences come into what at the time was sort of a formulaic pop thing. Because Parliament Funkadelic to me was the first like mainstream uh, funk band outside of the disco realm that truly understood hooks and songwriting. And, and uh, they're also uh, one of the most sampled bands from the, the mid to late 80s and early 90s uh, when it comes to uh, like hip-hop records, like George Clinton, Parliament, Funkadelic, Parliament. A lot of those bass lines that were originally by Bootsy Collins have been uh, sampled numerous times over the course of the early days of hip-hop.
0: There's several noteworthy songs, too, that kind of define the year and also kind of define the decade. Um, you know, what would you say are some of those? Based on our list, what would be the first one in your mind that would define 1982?
1: See, there's a lot of them because there's a, this was, for me, like the first time that there were like six tunes that I think all could be the song of 1982. But if we're talking like lasting impressions and influence, I'm going to start with the Combat Rock album from The Clash featuring Joe Strummer, one of the most influential songwriters and musicians of all time. Uh, the album went double platinum. It had two number one singles on it with Rock the Casbah and Should I Stay or Should I Go, both of which belong in the top five uh, for this entire year, in my opinion. And it's also the last Clash album that featured the original classic lineup.
0: Now, a big part of this podcast is the fact that like, I- I'm clueless on a lot of this, this more classic music. I'm not going to say older, more classic music. Um, And the whole point is, you know, you being my teacher along the way. And I I have to say that, like, the Should I Stay or Should I Go and Rock the Cash in particular, I'm really not huge fans of those songs. But I do see the historical significance in them and how big they are. And I recognize how big those songs are.
1: Well, there certainly wouldn't be a green day today if there wasn't a clash back in the day and i know that a lot of people attribute green day's core sound to a band called stiff little fingers and i totally wholeheartedly agree with that but stiff little fingers would not have come to be if not for the foundation the clash and the jam and some of these early bands that weren't classified as punk rock early on but were looked upon as punk rock icons in later years
0: so in Speaking of roots of alternative music, those, so you would say that those bands really kind of started forming like the green days of the world and, and uh, those, those types of other bands? 100% off of the back of one Joe Strummer. Wow. Wow. That, that's really interesting. So maybe I really shouldn't have uh, – I, maybe I shouldn't hate it. <laughs> well, I, I did say but, I hate it. But I it.
1: also know you well enough to know that you're not a big punk rock fan.
0: That is true. Yeah, I mean, like, again, like, I, I appreciate all music, and I, I will never say that I hate a particular genre, but, you know, if I were to say that punk isn't exactly, you know, on the top of my list, but, like, I'll listen no. to it, and I recognize, you know, I recognize it. Um, well, just the fact
1: that you went to meet Blink-182 with me and didn't really seem all that phased by it. Well, then when I explained to you who Matt Skiba was, Okay, you were I remember. completely and totally had no idea who Alkaline Trio is. And I only mention that because I'm going to bring up Alkaline Trio later with another song that's on this list. Um, but no, I mean, it, it's one of those things, man. Like you grew up in a different time with a different set of formative years than anybody else. And uh, it was the early days of your formative years that were a, kind of a void for punk rock music because at that point it had morphed from punk into pop punk. So, what you thought of punk music was sort of like a third generation of it. Well, with bands like Blink and the All American Rejects that mean more pop than punk, but mm-hmm. still have the roots going all the way back to the Mighty Joe Strummer.
0: Yeah, no, that, that, that's a good point. Now, I, I will say when it comes to Blink, uh, I do remember, and I'm going to have a lot of fun when we get to the 90s because I do remember several uh friday night roller skating rink pto nights where we would constantly request all the small things and that was like the biggest jam of the 90s at those pto funded uh roller skating rink party nights and uh those were a lot of fun so of course i knew who blink 182 was but uh you know you're always teaching me stuff dixon i try (laughs) So, so what else
1: was on, what else was on your list that, that you wanted to bring up? How about something that you genuinely really loved other than The Jam from 1982?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I did put this at the top of my list, uh my the top of my favorites. I loved uh I Ran So Far Away, Flock of Seagulls. It's a very popular song. I think that's one that everybody knows, even me, uh who doesn't know a lot of the earlier stuff, but that is, that's just a great jam. It really is. And the new wave sound in that song, I, I really love. Um, and I think that that is one of those songs that definitely not only define 1982, but the whole decade.
1: Agreed. I mean, I think Flock of Seagulls get a, a bad rap because they were very fashion forward with their hair and their clothes. And they always seem to be the butt of like the 80s jokes when there's like a new hairstyle. Influenced, I know that Gen X and the Boomers like to be, hey, flock of seagulls, you know what I mean? But <laughs> by the same token, I think they were very much overlooked. And I think they wrote one of the greatest songs of all time. And the fact that it's been covered over and over and over again by so many different artists over the years um, just, I think, speaks to how well uh, the, the, the song was written. I mean, if we're talking, I mean, if we're going to jump into this, there, there's a whole handful of songs. Uh, that belong right at the top of the list, including uh, Modern English, I Melt With You, another song you'll hear in a million commercials, a million covers, Donovan. Psychedelic Furs, Love My Way, was one of the biggest songs of 1982, being featured in a lot of movies. Uh, And then, of course, you've got Billy Idol with White Wedding, which was, in, in my opinion, probably the defining song of 1982, because that was one of the only songs on this list that got play on radio in multiple formats. You would hear that on the pop station. You would hear it on the rock station. You would hear it on the adult station. It was one of those songs that kind of had its toe dipped into every pond. And I think that's essentially where Billy Idol became Billy Idol, despite his earlier uh, stuff with um, Gen X and having a hit with Dancing With Myself. As far as people in the States go, they really only know Billy Idol and don't know Generation X. And this was sort of like Billy Idol's uh, Quinceria, so to speak. This is when he sort of became the Billy Idol that you know and remember from all of his iconic appearances over time, whether it was in the videos or the movies or his pop culture appearances.
0: Yeah, I remember you talking about that last week when we were doing 1981. We talked about Generation X, and I had no idea that Billy Idol basically spawned from that. So was this kind of the start of his solo career? Uh,
1: in the States, Dancing With Myself, after the first few weeks, was a Billy Idol song. As far as like what the DJs on the radio introduce it as, here's Billy Idol, Dancing With Myself. In the UK, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, other places where that song exploded first, it was definitely Generation X, and then a much slower transition into just saying Billy Idol. And in fact, there's uh, some, some places in the UK, obviously, where the band generated from, where they still call... Uh, in Generation X whenever that classic track dance when myself does get played on the radio.
0: Mm. White Wedding is one of those songs that uh, a little side story. So I used to DJ weddings and I, I had a wedding uh, that one year that uh, the last name of the couple was White and uh, they did not have that song on their request list. And I, I don't know why they didn't. Uh, maybe it just never thought in their minds or maybe they thought it was really cliched. So I played that song and I, I took a risk cause it's like, you never know if somebody's going to really love or hate a song and they didn't say one way or another. They said I had free reign to just play songs. So I played white wedding and everyone was like beside themselves. Like they were so over the moon excited about the fact that I had played white wedding at a literal white wedding. So that was a lot of fun. That that's a good memory I have for that song.
1: Absolutely, my man.
0: Uh, Let's dive into
1: Madness, shall we? Because on a previous episode, we talked about a band called The Specials that introduced Ska to the mainstream, where Madness, on the other hand, added some pop elements. And then when they released their fourth studio album, The Rise and Fall, this thing charted first week out. It was the band's biggest hit ever on the Billboard Hot 100. They won Best Pop Song in the Novello Awards. Uh, It peaked at number one in the UK and number five in the United States. Uh, Again, this one appeared on the rock charts. It appeared on the pop charts. And while it is their only true hit ever, there's a very special place for madness inspiring what would be considered the second wave of ska in the United States and inspired all of those ska bands that you probably know like the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones or Real Big Fish or the Aquabats or any of the others. This is one of those bands that if they didn't exist, a lot of music that you loved later on wouldn't exist. And Madness is that band. And, and is whatever your opinion of Scott is. Uh, I remember 1996 rolling around and Scott being the biggest thing ever for at least half the year, which to me makes this a, a very important song. And also with Madness, it was, I believe, at least in my opinion, This is where the idea of adding pop elements to underground music truly began, as in reference to pop punk. Because there was a decided amount of punk rock to the Madness Band, in my opinion, as well. So I think that's a very important record, one that definitely needs to be mentioned.
0: Okay. So our house. Yes, I do know that song after all. Uh, I think I have heard that in many commercials and it's funny that you bring that up because a lot of the songs from this year in particular, as I was listening through the list, I think I've heard in so many commercials over the years.
1: Well, our house was the, the the two big ones that you you may remember uh, were for bird's eye vegetables. uh, And that was back like, I think like 2007 ish. And then, uh, they also used it in a Maxwell House campaign in 2009 around the holidays, and then in 2012 it reemerged once more for the closing ceremonies of that year's Olympics. Uh, and if you get a chance, look for it on YouTube because the light show and all the dancers made it like really, really cool.
0: Interesting. And I think I get what you're saying by the like the beginnings of ska almost because it I don't know if it's it's like the way the, the beat goes with the the drums and there's like a I think there's a tambourine in there. I mean, it's just the way that, that the music flows in the song. It it does kind of sound like the beginnings of ska in many ways. Well for me this
1: this was where you first hear that iconic ska stutter that became like the backbone for all modern ska music.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it'll be. F- I, I'm glad that we're kind of following the ska pattern because I don't really know much about ska other than there's a lot of ska in uh, video games, like Tony Hawk Pro Skater, one game that I grew up with in the '90s. So, yep. um, it'll be fun when we kind of get into seeing where that sound actually began. Uh, but right now, we're kind of at the uh, the very early beginnings of that.
1: Absolutely. Now, one thing that we should bring up was this is the first real appearance. Of one of the most legendary alternative bands of all time in 1982, and that's
0: REM. Oh yes.
1: So this was this was the the first official uh, appearance of REM in the mainstream. Their EP Chronic Town was released in August of 1982 on the iconic IRS label, which is where REM's home was for their first bunch of records. Now, while this uh, the the single was called Wolves Lower, which is not one of the best REM tracks. They were still trying to find like their footing with this, and there was some stuff that kinda sounded like craftwork mixed in. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of like the early REM stuff. like it really took all the way up to green for me to become an REM fan, but I can look back and see how it is they influenced people with a lot of that early stuff that they did, starting with this EP. Uh, and they, I think, were the entire, sort of reason that college radio took off the way it did starting in the southeastern united states right around their home of athens georgia and exploded nationwide into a movement that i think is more firmly uh the background of modern alternative music than what say alternative was in the 90s
0: i can definitely see that i do when i think of RAM, i think of uh, like you said the college rock like i, I instantly kind of uh, put them into that category. Um, but I, I actually, and I don't I don't know much REM at all. So again, just saying that right there. But the one song by them that was on this list that you didn't mention, I put on my favorites. I absolutely loved Gardening at Night. And what I loved about it were the bright drums in that song. Very, very, just a bright drum sound. Like it was really hitting it hard. Um, I, I felt as though that was in the same diversion category that I had labeled the English beat and the jam. Um, And I just, it felt like it was different from the new wave sound of the eighties. And I really loved that song. Well, the the thing we should mention is that REM is truly an American
1: original. This is a band born and bred in the States where the majority of the stuff that we're talking about came from the UK or Europe. What the new wave
0: sound came from Europe? Really?
1: There's some of it here, but like, When you're talking about, like, The Clash, that's the UK. We're talking about Modern English, that's the UK. We're talking about the Psychedelic Furs, the UK. Flock of Seagulls are either from Australia or New Zealand. I can never keep that straight. Madness, Billy Idol, UK bands. So this is the first time we've we've come uh, to the point where I believe the alternative flavor of American music truly came to light with R.E.M.
0: So... If American music during this time had a certain sound and it was not the new wave sound, at what point did all of this sound from overseas, from Europe and elsewhere, at what point did that music start to combine with American influence? Do we see that in 1980? You'll see it in the
1: next couple of weeks, for sure. You'll definitely see uh, more American bands start to, to sort of rise through the ranks, so to speak, and become more of a forefront of the alternative music movement. And I think a lot of that credit is owed to REM. And I think a lot of people will agree with me there. Uh, they were to me that next thing after the Velvet Underground to, to really take their point of view and unabashedly record what, what they thought and felt. And it connected on a level that I don't think did from an American alternative band between. The Velvet Underground and REM, I think they were the, the next step forward. And as we progress through these weeks, I think you'll start to see where these building blocks sort of came in as well and where things get bookmarked and uh, kind of how things all sort of interweave.
0: Yeah. I mean, like one thing I noticed right off the bat when I started listening to this playlist of 1982, it felt, it, it felt very different from 1980 and it was just two years difference 1980 in my mind still felt like it had a lot of carryover from the late 70s um, it most certainly did yeah but like now with 1982 I'm it, it feels like we're turning a corner here and you know again right off the bat with songs like I ran and I melt with you by modern English white uh, white wedding also Duran Duran with hungry like the wolf it's just, all of these yeah. songs, they yeah. just seem so different in just two years' time. It's it's really interesting to see how fast things have started to change.
1: And again, I mentioned this before. Duran Duran, one of my favorite bands of all time, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, influential in such a way that I, I don't even know how to form words around it. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's a lot it's coming from you, Dixon. Well, It's just that thing where there, there were so many different things that Duran Duran brought to the table at a time uh when pop music to a degree had become sort of vapid and rock music was sort of losing its true and proper identity it was just it had gotten stagnant and then duran duran coming in uh and really being like that that pop oriented rock band with real instrumentation fashion political stances, the whole nine yards. Like, Duran Duran's influence cannot be denied. I think, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, they would be on that Mount Rushmore of influential alternative artists of all time. So a couple of things I want to bring up, because they were big songs at the time, but they were also songs covered by a couple of my favorite bands in the modern era. And I'm not a big cover song guy, but in these two instances, I have to say... I prefer the remade version of them over the original. And the first one we're going to start with is a tune by Romeo Void called Never Say Never that was covered by Queens of the Stone Age. Now, this was a, kind of a, a forward thinking song for the time with its sexual lyrics, and uh, it definitely had a lot of like post punk influences. The guitars were very jagged while the bass line stayed really funky and had this throb to it. There's saxophone through it that obviously in the cover tune became uh, a second guitar track. But Josh Holm took the basis of one of the best written songs of all time and turned it into a stoner desert rock classic that almost has like a disco vibe to it. And while Never Say Never it only went to number 12 on the American charts, it was featured in a huge movie called Reckless in 1984 uh, with Daryl Hannah. And it also became a, a, like a, a weird classic rock hit in the early 2000s because it was also featured in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. So that's where a lot of people may know uh, that track from. And the Queens of the Stone Age track, by the way, uh, only comes on the bonus edition of Rated R, their 2000 release. And it was also featured uh, in the movie The Punisher with John Travolta and Thomas
0: Jane. You know it's kind of sad? <laughs> That you just mentioned uh, Vice City. A lot of these songs I probably would have never heard had I not played that video game.
1: <laughs> well, it goes to show you that things really do have a cycle. I mean, it was 18 to 20 years, 22 years after its initial release, uh, and that's kind of the cycle of American pop culture. Uh, and since we're talking about fantastic songs from 1982 that were covered in later days, Uh, I would be remiss if we didn't mention Berlin. Uh, And while this wasn't their biggest song, uh, it was a track called The Metro, uh, which was huge. Went all the way to number one in the UK in 1981. Released in the States in 82. Didn't officially become a single in the States until 83. But I figured 82 was the proper place uh, to talk about this. This was the first song that you could see the apparent heavy use of the Sequential Circuits Profit 5 synthesizer, which was very much uh, a very distinctly different sound at the time. Prior to that, it was the RCA Mark II, which had punch cards and it had like vacuum tubes, and the Moog, which was an analog synthesizer. This was the first truly digital synthesizer, and you can hear it all over the metro by Berlin. But what I love uh, was I actually found a band that I love called Alkaline Trio. So we're going to circle back to what we talked about with you meeting Blink-182. Uh, when Tom DeLonge left Blink-182, Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio joined Blink-182. So uh, my introduction to Alkaline Trio was their cover of this song, The Metro, on some random punk rock uh, like compilation that got put out for free. Whether I don't remember was like hot topic or maybe it came with like a magazine at the time, Uh, but it made me remember the song and then also really dive headfirst into Alkaline Trio, who became one of my favorite bands of all time.
0: That's really really interesting. Uh, I'm still blown away at at your knowledge of so much, Dixon. (laughs) Um, And you know the 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 question that I had when you're going back to the synthesizers, it just made me wonder. When did synthesizers go away? They haven't. Well, I mean...
1: Because the, the thing is... is well, they is didn't now they fade technology. for
0: a while. They, yeah, they've come back in some aspects. Yeah. Like, I think of the 1975, who, who uses them in their songs. But, like, like, synthesizers, I feel, ruled the 80s. When did they start to fade? I think there was
1: always an element of it uh, throughout the, the late 80s. I mean, when you're talking, like, all those hair rock bands there was so much synthesizer in there. Like anything that you heard, like every rose has its thorn while it might've been done on a piano in the studio. It was most definitely done with a synthesized keyboard live mm-hmm. and there's synthesizer throughout all of that hairband stuff. And then you jump into the early nineties when Billy Idol still had a career uh, in, in doing uh, rock, the cradle of love, which was guitar heavy, but also very synth heavy. Uh, Depeche mode never went away. Always very dependent upon sets. Uh The cure, uh, as well, I mean, the synth has always been there, and if you even think back to like the early 2010s with bands like Neon Trees or Fits in the Tantrums, Capital Cities like all these bands yeah. that emerged, uh, it, this, this wave of alternative music, they were all very synthesizer heavy.
0: Hmm. I guess I just never really thought of it that way.
1: And again, it's that cycle It happened in the 80s, it happened in the early 2000s, and now it's happening again in the 2020s. Hmm. Um, and before we get too far off, I do want to bring up one band because they weren't necessarily a huge band, but they did have their biggest success in 1982 and inspired, in my opinion, one of the strangest genres of music. But I got to talk about XTC. Hmm. Um, they were, I think without XTC, all of the, the, the strange, deviant, sort of like off time Weird time signature, strange noise bands like Primus would have never come to fruition without the influence of XTC. And one of my favorite things about the band XTC is there's a dude in the band named Andy Partridge who is not that Andy Partridge from the Partridge family. And there are legendary, legendary interviews that I don't even know if you can find anymore, where he would go off on interviewers that even brought up the other Andy Partridge. And that was where I, I first took note of these guys. But The single that they had success with uh, in 82 was off their album, English Settlement. It was called Ball and Chain. Uh, And you can definitely, if you go back and and take a listen to that or the B side of it, which was Punch and Judy, which is where you're going to get more of those primacy vibes. Uh, But if you took XTC and Madness and sort of combined them, by the end of the decade, you would have bands like Fishbone that were coming out that really were just equal parts Madness and XTC big bouncy strange bass tones wrapped around like rhythmic uh, upstroke guitars and all of these sort of dissonant sounds and odd time signatures that almost introduced jazz to the pop and mainstream. And once again, surprise, surprise they're from England.
0: How many of the songs on this list? Cause we've got, we've got about 50 songs on this list. How many of these songs would you say, just a rough estimate, are not from the U.S.? 70%. Yeah,
1: wow. A good solid 70%. So and I think of that 70%, 70% of that 70% are U.K. bands. I think this was sort of where, uh, I mean, a lot of people credit the Beatles for bringing a U.K. sound to America. And I, I would never argue that because there was a distinct thing that happened after the Beatles. But there was also a distinct thing that happened to music on a worldwide scale after the influx of the early 80s UK music as well. And we're still feeling that to this day. I mean, because like, if you listen to that new 1975, if you're too shy, the beginning of that sounds like it could be any of the bands we talked about today, whether it was Modern English, The Psychedelic Furs, A Flock of Seagulls it it brings you back to that place and it's done through textures and it's done through using that vintage equipment and like i said everything has a cycle and it's all going to circle back and man like some of these bands from this time period were so influential that without them i would be scared to see a world that existed without them having come first you know because I don't necessarily know that ska would have gotten to where it was without bands like madness or the specials. I don't know that primus would have ever been like primus without the foundation laid by bands like XTC and Oingo Boingo.
0: Hmm. Well, is it, of, it,
1: of course why we're calling it the roots of alternative music.
0: That's exactly right. And I mean, just so far we're only three episodes in and I've already learned a ton and it, I think just only three episodes in three years into the 1980s. It's just so fascinating to see how quickly music has changed. Um, And I can't wait to see where it goes for the next three years. Um, You're going
1: to have a blast through the rest of the eighties, bro. Trust me on that
0: one. It's going to be fun. Um, I got a couple more songs that I, I wrote down that uh, that, I, that I really liked. Um, you mentioned a lot in previous episodes In Excess, which I never oh, yeah. really heard a lot by them. I really enjoyed Don't Change, and I felt like yep. that fell under the same category with another uh, song that I really loved by Ultravox. The tune's called Reap the Wild Wind. And that song had a lot of, like, more of the heavy synthesizer, new wave-type sound, bright drums, and a very noticeable piano sound, um, which I really, really loved in those two songs.
1: Absolutely. Now, NXS uh, is an Australian band considered by many to be the greatest Australian band of all time. They have a national holiday there. They have multiple, like, streets and parks and whatever else named after them. Uh, and, and deservedly so. And and again, like I know that uh, Michael Hutchison is the punchline to a lot of jokes just based on the way he passed away, and probably deservedly so. You know, like autoerotic association is, is kind of a funny thing. Uh, that I didn't that, know. Like this world famous rock star, you know, like, eh, you know, but it, it is what it is, man. And, and when we get into the late 80s, and especially when we get to NXS's album, Kick. I will go off because they're another band much like Duran Duran that were very, very influential in forming my opinions of pop music throughout the 80s and early 90s.
0: Well, all in all, I'd have to say uh, 1982 is probably a hit out of the park as far as the number of just really recognizable singles that are still played to this day in radio and at weddings and you in, know, commercials, in commercials in commercials in movies
1: on video games it's yeah. it, it's definitely a golden era and I think we would be remiss if we close this out without mentioning uh I hate this song not a big <laughs> fan of the artist but Adam Ant made a big impact in 82 with Goody Two Shoes which is again a song you hear on a lot of like adult hit radio it's considered a classic it is what it is but for me I give him credit because this was sort of like the the early 80s niche, like, yeah, like gimmicky song. You know what I mean? Like, it, it wasn't necessarily a good representation of what Adam Ant did or Adam in the Ants, depending on which version of this you want to say. Um, but, like, this was drastically different than anything he did. And he did it specifically to finally get some, you know, like, popularity or, or gain some notoriety by having a quote-unquote hit and that's great but I also think this is what spawned uh like we had talked about in the past like parody songs or like things like um Pac-Man Fever or you know Rick Derringer with some of the stuff he had done this was the first time that like sort of a novelty song became a true hit and had a lasting effect so we, we would be remiss without Mentioning it, I don't know that I ever want to hear the song again. Um, but Adamant did have a huge impact in 1982 and deserves to be included uh, amongst all the rest of the stuff that we've discussed.
0: Well, Dixon, I'm really looking forward to 1983. There's going to be a lot of good stuff there, I'm sure. Um, and uh, don't forget, so so many different ways to listen. Um, we are now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search for Roots of Alternative Podcast. uh, If you have any feedback
1: or you want to just kind of like, uh, you know, let us know what you like, what you don't like, maybe something that we missed, uh, feel free to hit me up. It's dxn at 95x.com.
0: Again, everything 95x.com slash Roots of Alternative. And you can check out this week's playlist there as well as past shows. Dixon, my friend, it was a pleasure. Really excited for next week.
1: Always a blast, sir. I will see you next week.
0: And this has been the Roots of Alternative podcast for 95X.